This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. My name is Michael Levitt, and today I've got Rebecca Zucker with us. Rebecca is an executive coach, an expert in the leadership and career development field, a partner at Next Steps Partners, and also a contributor of a couple organizations you might be familiar with, Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Coaching executives, not exactly the easiest thing on the planet to do. Um, I know there's a lot of challenges. Uh, Being an executive myself, I know we're not the easiest bunch to work with. So tell us a little bit about uh, your background and and how you ended up uh, working with executives. Sure. Well, I have a business and finance background. I got my MBA from Stanford and went into investment banking and stayed in finance, uh, left banking, and then shifted to the people side of the business and ran training for uh, a regional investment bank in San Francisco before co-founding Next Step Partners about 17 years ago. Working with executives, what kind of challenges do you see when you're dealing with uh, the likes of people like myself? All different challenges. I am typically brought in to work with a leader on an area that is holding them back from being as effective as they can be. And that might be because they are in a new role or they have a new team or the context or the business has changed in some way, or there's something that could just be better. Um, So I work with them on a variety of different development areas, anything from executive presence to helping them to pull out of the weeds and be more strategic to building relationships and being a more emotionally connected leader. It really runs a very broad range. Have you noticed over the last 10 years or so any dramatic change with some of the challenges that executives are facing? I've seen it in a couple arenas where it it, it seems like the pressure, at least on, on the surface, seems to be uh, more intense than it was even a decade ago. Yes, it is relentless for some people. And I had a client who said that she can't sleep at four in the morning because she's worried she's going to miss an email at four in the morning. (laughs) So there's something wrong with that. And whether that's coming from her, which could very well be, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but, uh, or coming from her organization's culture about what the norms are and the expectations about how, how on you are and uh, how connected you are at all times. It reminds me of me back in 2007 and 8 and 2009 where I was on email from 6 a.m. until 11 p.m. seven days a week because I was getting emails at all times of the day. Uh, And again, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit further because uh, I was the uh, reason for that in many ways because I didn't address it and didn't have the right boundaries in place. Yeah. One of the things you know that that you work on and, and talk about is immunity to change. And when I saw that line, it it definitely resonated with me. So I'd love for you to share with the audience what is immunity to change. 
Sure. Immunity to change is a really powerful methodology that was developed by two Harvard professors, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And it helps us unpack and look at how we get in our own way when it comes to making some type of change, because we do tend to get in our own way, even when we want to make that change. And immunity to change really focuses on the adaptive part of change, which is the mindset piece. So whenever you're looking to make a change, there are two aspects of that change. There's the technical part, which is adding new information to your current way of thinking. And there's the adaptive part, which is essentially changing the way you think. So the adaptive change, while it's harder, is more transformative and allows for much more sustainable change. So I'll give you a really simplistic example. If I'm looking to lose a couple of pounds, the technical part of that change is I know I need to go to the gym three or four times a week. I need to limit my calorie count, cut out sweets and limit carbs. And that is important and can get me some initial progress. But if the real issue is that either I associate food with love, as many people do, or that I think that I'm not being sociable if I don't have dessert with my friends, all those technical changes are only going to get me so far before I start backsliding into old behaviors, which is why a lot of change fails. Having struggled with my own weight over the years, it's definitely one of those things where it takes more than just saying, okay, I'm going to lose weight and yes, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to change how I eat. It, it, a colleague of mine says, and he uses a recent example of it. He says, sometimes you have to install a habit like you would install an app on your phone and you have to start using it and making those changes and, and, and be kind to yourself when you misstep because yeah. you're trying to, dramatically change yourself and with people that are struggling with weight whenever I talk with them about it say look you didn't put on that 15 pounds in a week Um, you're not going to lose it and keep it off in a week I mean there are ways to do it I mean you could you know train with UFC fighters and you know drop weight for a day or two but you're going to gain it right back I guarantee it so it's 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 subtle changes and a little bit over time and then that is you know, where the sustainability of it will actually come into play. Yes, but to take that app analogy one step further, adaptive change is really um, going further than just adding an app. An app is actually the perfect analogy to the technical part of change. The adaptive part of change is upgrading your operating system and really expanding how you even think about the problem. Because the immunity to change, what it looks at it's essentially looking at our psychological immune system. So just like we have a physical immune system that protects us from all sorts of things, and our physical immune system can sometimes inaccurately detect threats, so can our psychological immune system, which is designed to protect us from our worst fears coming true. Uh, So looking at a work example of somebody who needs to pull out of the weeds and be more strategic, that's going to require things like delegation. And when somebody needs to delegate, there might be a sense of loss of control. And so immunity to change helps unpack what we call the underlying competing commitments to making that change. 
So it might be a commitment to always being in control or to never looking bad. These are not noble commitments, like I'm committed to high quality work or great customer service. These are uh, all fear-based commitments and it's something that we all have. It's funny that whole fight or flight mechanism comes into play in something like this as well. I was horrible at delegation years ago. Uh, I was of the mindset, I can do this better than anybody else and faster than anybody else. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And in certain instances, okay, if it's a one-off, sure. Uh, But if it's everything, then all of a sudden you're doing everything and you're basically robbing your employees the opportunity to grow and you're overloading your to-do list to the point of uh, complete burnout or crash and burn or anything else. Yes, and you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to grow as well because the more you're able to delegate, the bigger, higher value add projects you can take on and the more you can elevate your leadership. So immunity change really actually helps us uh, expand our individual and collective leadership capacity by helping us sort of break past those boundaries that we effectively set for ourselves based on our limited way of thinking. And I, like I said, I was horrible at delegation before. And if you ask my assistant, the pendulum has swung way too far to the other side. Ah. So now anything that lands on my desk, my first reaction to it is who besides me can work on this? Well, that's a great question to ask. And, and, that's, and it's a great opportunity. But one of the leadership challenges we face in that is we have to be very careful depending on the size of our team to make sure that we don't over-delegate and then burn out our team because we keep assigning them new things. So it's, again, one of those things, a a great leadership skill that I've picked up over the years is the wonderful word called no. And and understanding why you say no. And, you know, a good way that I describe it is you have to say no so you can really – positively affirm your yeses and pay honor to those that you have said yes and things that you've said yes to because it, again, strengthens things uh, both as a leader and for your organization. Yes. And as I learned in my coaching training long ago, when you say yes to something, by definition, you say no to something else and vice versa. So being very conscious of what you're saying yes and no to. Totally agree. What are your clients experiencing when they go through um, your system and going through this uh, training on uh, their immunity to change and and the other things that you you work with people with? Well, it can go pretty deep in that uh, what we are essentially unpacking is how they think about basically everything. Uh, And Once we've identified those competing commitments, the next step is identifying the limiting assumptions and beliefs that we have that hold those commitments in place, that keep that um, sort of psychological immune system working, Um, but it's actually working against us and inaccurately detecting threats where in fact there are none. And those big assumptions are typically formed pretty early in life, usually childhood, sometimes adolescence or early adulthood. And when we do the immunity to change mapping process, when we identify those big assumptions, 
they, um, they can go pretty deep. And so it's a very vulnerable place to be. And coaching is obviously a very private, confidential relationship. And so it creates the safety for, um, for us to have that conversation with our clients. And at the same time, this is not therapy. We are not about healing past wounds. We want to identify, you know, where did this come from in your life so we can understand it and look at it more objectively. Because uh, the analogy here is that instead of looking through this tinted pair of glasses, we are going to take off the glasses and look at the glasses. And looking at the way we think and getting some distance from it can actually help shake loose some of those limiting beliefs and assumptions about uh, you know, how we see the world and our place in it. How do you get the trust of the executives that you work with? Because you had mentioned you know, that vulnerability is, is definitely something that in order for transformative change to occur, you definitely need to have the ability for the executives or the people that you work with to really open up and, and, and say, okay, this is what's going on and this is what I'm trying to do to correct it. Uh, what are some techniques that you've used that you found successful? That's a great question. I don't know that there are techniques as much as building the relationship and assuring them from day one that this is confidential and we don't talk about the content of the coaching conversation with anybody, um, in particular, anybody at their company. And uh, it, it's really, you know, we're working with people who are willing participants. This isn't somebody who is put into coaching, they have to want to be there for us to work with them. And so they are typically willing to go there more often than not. For the people who may be a little closed off, you know, this immunity to change process is not necessarily the first thing that we're doing when we are working with them. We are getting to know them in a variety of ways, um, doing various assessments, whether it's a 360, other type of um, personality assessments that can give them helpful insights into some of their challenges and development areas. And uh, it's really, you know, how the coach shows up also in the meeting as being a good listener, being compassionate, creating that safety for them to really open up. Because the more they open up, the better we can help them accomplish what it is that they're setting out to do. Yeah, I find the listening component is crucial because uh, in, in coaching people, if you can meet them where they are at that particular moment, uh, it just strengthens the trust. Because uh, yes, we all have our playbooks and we have, you know, these are you know the, the different types of things that we know through our skill set and being coaches and, and, and all of our experiences and working with clients. We sometimes want to just, okay, well, here, we'll roll this out and roll this out. But sometimes if we listen, you'll go, well, actually, all right, this is different than what we originally thought was going on. And that way you can actually pivot and be able to serve that client even better because you, again, understand what they're going through and you can guide them on the right steps to take. Exactly. And I think once we are able to show them how they are getting in their own way, that is also very enlightening to them. And they want to work on it. So they want to get past the barriers that, you know, frankly, that they are setting for themselves. Maybe it would be helpful for me to just share a, a short example. Please do. Um, 
client and very much relates to your topic of interest of setting boundaries. This was a client who I worked with who was a partner in a professional services firm, very hard charging culture, on the road, traveling a ton. And this person was really burnt out and they wanted to carve out a life outside of work. And so that was the goal that we mapped out in this immunity to change mapping process for her. And so she was, you know, doing or not doing a ton of things that were getting in the way of this goal. So she would let her work schedule prevent her from scheduling, you know, fun activities. She wouldn't carve out time for exercise. She wouldn't say no to travel for work. Um, she hadn't even gotten a person to clean her apartment. <laughs> so there was a lot of stuff that she was doing or not doing that was getting in the way of this goal. And when we unpacked her underlying fears and competing commitments, it came out, there were a, a number of them. And things like not wanting to be seen as too old or irrelevant or to never losing business or to never being seen as not adding value. And these were the competing commitments that were driving the behavior that had her going, going, going all the time. And so that became really clear. But when we peeled back the onion a bit more to get at what were the limiting beliefs and assumptions that made those commitments necessary, the one that was really the most powerful for her was that she felt, if I don't work this intensely, I won't be successful. So that was the crux of all of it. That was the real core issue that we identified. And so it was helping her see that and how helping her debunk that big assumption and creating some safe tests and experiments so that she could loosen the grip that it had on her. Yeah, that speaks to me because it was very similar to my story that led to my own personal burnout. You know, I was new into a healthcare executive role and in the mix of it too is um, an American citizen and I live in Canada. I've got dual citizenship now, but back then you know, I was here, you know, to, I could legally work here, but I wasn't a citizen. So I had to prove myself, or at least I thought that one, that I was worthy of being an executive for a Canadian organization, not being Canadian and understanding the quote unquote Canadian way of living. So there was always that backdrop in the back of my mind that I had to do all of these things. And I kept going and going and going. And it didn't help that it was a startup organization. So you're educating the community on the benefits of this type of health core, healthcare organization and all of that. And I, you know, I was burning the candle at three ends and, <laughs> and, and, and until I burned out and had a pretty significant uh, year of, of loss and and learned my lesson, thankfully, um, and made some dramatic changes in my life. So basically, I was indirectly going through your program without going through your program. Yeah. Um, I, w I wish I would have gone through it before. That would have probably saved me some stuff. But then, wow. you know, Well, even I, the example you gave earlier of you being on email from 6 in the morning to 11 at night, it sounds like there was an underlying assumption about what will happen if I put my email away for an hour and go do something else. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I was on my BlackBerry. Uh, okay. For, for those youngins that are listening, a BlackBerry was a cell phone um, similar to an iPhone, but not really. So um, yeah, we all had those. Back cursor. 
yeah, way way back in the olden days of you know the mid two thousands. Yeah, as my daughter likes to make fun of me, uh, but it's all good. So, what else would you like to share with the audience today about the work that you're doing? And and I think importantly, you know. It sounds like that you're extremely passionate about this and you really find fulfillment out of it. Um, I guess, you know, you've shared some great stories, but is there one in particular that that really made you really happy that you, you chose this career path for yourself? Oh, wow. That's a great question. And it's really hard to narrow it down to just one. But I think that, you know, just seeing my clients gain new levels of insight and awareness is tremendously fulfilling for me and helping them remove those boundaries or barriers that are there self-induced. <laughs> um, really, I, it just, I love supporting other people to succeed. That's why I do this work. Yeah, it's incredible work because if you, and you do this, when you make leaders better leaders, they become better people both at work and at home. It changes the culture of the organization, which makes the organization better. It reduces stress of everybody that works there. They produce better products and services for their customers. It has a gigantic ripple effect. So um, I commend you for the work that you're doing and, and, and making our leaders even better. So how can uh, our listeners find out more about you and, and reach out to you um, for questions, comments, and whatnot? Sure. They can follow me at R.S. Zucker on Twitter, and our website is nextsteppartners.com. And we have some free resources. If you want to get a list of our favorite leadership development resources, they can go to nextsteppartners.com slash list. And they can go to nextsteppartners.com slash 10 tips, the number 10, to get the most out of coaching. And everybody will have all that information in the show notes. And I highly encourage that you go check those resources out because they'll make a big difference. Um, and, and they're really, really beneficial for you and will we'll take your game to the next level. So, Rebecca, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing because, again, I, I, strong leaders uh, make for uh, strong organizations and it just it transforms everyone's lives, not just the leaders. So thank you very much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And until next time, everyone, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get us a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.